Well, it's nice to see uh, some of the kids here this evening. And um, when I was a boy, uh, at the age of some of you, one of the things that I really loved to do on a Saturday was buy football stickers. Okay, so on Saturdays after swimming lessons, we would go to the newsagent in Portree on the Isle of Skye. We would spend our pocket money on sweets and football stickers. And sometimes, uh, if you know uh, what I'm talking about, you would get... You would get stickers that you had already, uh, football players, I don't know, maybe a left back from, I don't know, Leicester City or something like that, a bit disappointing. Uh, maybe you'd get your, your favorite player and you felt like you'd kind of won the lottery. And uh, as you uh, got these stickers over time, if you, if you flick through the album, you would see kind of blocks of color. So you'd see red, I don't know, red for Man United, black and white for Newcastle, blue for Chelsea, all different colors. And it's a bit like Proverbs. As you read Proverbs, as you look through it, it's a bit like one of those sticker albums. Um, it's not the book of Proverbs, as people sometimes think. It's not just kind of one thing after another. Um, in the book of Proverbs, there are little collections of sayings. There are in the book of Proverbs, there's different Proverbs that have been gathered together, kind of grouped in, I don't know, colors, we could say, or, or teams. And our passage this evening is part of one of those collections. Um, in, the, uh, in the ESV, you can see this. It's similar in the NIV. If you look at verse 17, which we didn't read, um, it begins, it says, words of the wise. In the NIV, it's 30 sayings of the wise. And that collection, it runs all the way to chapter 23, verse 22. And yet within that big section, the verses we read tonight, uh, they are really 10 different sayings about wealth. So they're not 10 verses, but kind of grouped together, 10 sayings about wealth. Someone has called them a decalogue about wealth. Someone has called them a kind of ten commandments about wealth, about money. And so this evening I thought about uh, making this a ten-point sermon, and then I uh, thought that probably wasn't a good idea. And I thought about working from, I don't know, from verse 22 all the way through to 23 verse 11, and I thought that's probably not a good idea either. Um, instead, I want us to focus on verses 4 and 5 of chapter 23. Have a look at those verses. And from there, what I want us to do tonight is roam around the rest of the passage, if that makes sense. And then we'll think about some applications at the end. And I've chosen verses 4 and 5 because I think they, they really encapsulate the teaching of this whole section. If you look at them, verse 4 is a verse about loving money, and verse 5 is a verse about losing money. Loving money and losing money. Those are our two headings this evening. Let's think first about loving money. Look what uh, the writer of Proverbs says, verse 4, do not toil to acquire wealth, be discerning enough to desist. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. 
Now, given our topic this evening, it feels kind of appropriate, doesn't it, that there's a negative and a positive here. There's a minus, there's a plus. In this verse, there's something not to do and something to do. And as you look at the first half of verse 4, there's echoes, I think, isn't there, of other passages. Um, The psalmist, Psalm 127, in vain you rise early and stay up late toiling for food to eat. Or the Lord Jesus, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. No one can serve two masters. And the idea that money can become, can be our master, it's really quite a chilling thought. What Proverbs is warning us against here is not hard work. We're going to meet the, the sluggard next Sunday. No, Proverbs, the Samus, Jesus, they're warning us against working ourselves to death. So in verse 4, this is not working hard to earn a living or, or providing for our families. This is a slavish existence where you and I make ourselves weary in the pursuit of wealth. Don't do that, Proverbs says. Do not toil to, to acquire wealth, great wealth. Instead, be discerning enough to desist, stop, cease. God is saying, think about, when it comes to money, think about what you're doing when you pursue it, when you make it an idol, when you make it your number one priority. If you and I were to ask the question, what harvest have human beings reaped from pursuing wealth at all costs down through the centuries? Well, the answers would be pretty bleak, wouldn't they? The pursuit of wealth has led to, what's it led to? It's led to, well, it's destroyed marriages. The pursuit of wealth has damaged relationships between parents and their children. It's caused people burnout. The pursuit of wealth has prevented people from seeing all the blessings they had already. The pursuit of wealth, the the devotion to wealth has caused a whole lot of pain, hasn't it? And one of the reasons the book of Proverbs was written is to save us from that. Um, Derek Kidner, wonderful commentator on Proverbs, he's got this, this lovely image in his commentary. He says that in this section and some of the verses that follow, it's as if the writer of Proverbs has got his hand on our shoulder. And I'm sure almost all of us will have experienced that. Someone wants to, to, to really, they want us to really feel the love they have for us. They want to tell us something maybe a bit difficult. And so they look us in the eye and they put an arm around us. They put an arm on our shoulder. And I think the, the writer of Proverbs, I think really God himself is doing that here, isn't he? But maybe you're thinking, what does loving money what does it actually look like? Um, I hear what you're saying. Um, I know it's wrong. How do I know when I'm doing that? How do I know when I'm loving it too much? Well, let me try and show you that as we kind of roam around the passage. Uh, I want to show you three examples of what the love of money looks like. 
And here's the big idea, if you like. The writer of Proverbs, he wants us to see that the love of money can come in all sorts of different guises. So here's the first. Uh, look at the bookends of the section. Look at chapter 22, verse 22. Do not rob the poor because he is poor or crush the afflicted at the gate. Then look at chapter 23, verse 10. Do not move an ancient landmark or enter the fields of the fatherless. I think the writer of Proverbs is telling us that the love of money can look like grabbing, taking things that don't belong to us. And ancient landmarks, they're nothing to do with uh, tourism. They were, they were kind of boundary markers in the Old Testament. They were there were ways of showing to whom particular land belonged. And so what is being condemned here is grabbing. It is taking what, what doesn't belong to us. It's exploiting the vulnerable. It is, if you like, Robin Hood in reverse. This is the rich robbing the poor. And this is something that is condemned all through the Old Testament. In Psalm 68, God describes himself as a defender of widows, as the father of the fatherless. And so maybe tonight there's a warning for some of us. If we are someone in a position of financial strength, well, how we treat those who have less, well, that really matters to God. God sees that. And we see that in our verses. The warning to those who rob, look at verse 23, is that there will be a reversal. And we see the same thing in verse 11. Those who move ancient landmarks, look what it says in verse 11. They need to know that those people have a redeemer. In the Old Testament, uh, the Redeemer was the, the nearest relative of somebody who was needy, and th their job was to protect, to provide, to defend for that person. So think of uh, Boaz in the book of Ruth. Amazing thing is that is how God himself speaks of his relationship with us. He has bound himself to us in covenant love. God is our Redeemer. Lord Jesus has paid the price of our redemption. What does Paul say in Ephesians 1? In him we have redemption through his blood. We have the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. And one of the ways the love of money is broken is when you and I realize what we have already in him. So loving money, it means it can look like grabbing. But loving money can also look like desiring. Okay, so grabbing, then desiring. Now, we've seen already that there's uh, quite a few meals mentioned in the book of Proverbs, isn't there? And there's actually two meals mentioned in our passage. Look at the first at the start of chapter 23. Here's a man who's invited to uh, a great feast. He's come to the kind of table that, that he never imagined he'd reach in his life. He, the kind of guy who normally has, I don't know, a knife and a fork in front of him, maybe a spoon. 
But at this table, this feast, well, there are all kinds of forks, and there are all kinds of knives, and all kinds of spoons, and all sorts of glasses, and then the food arrives, and then the wine is poured, and there seems to be a real danger that this man is going to be going to get carried away in the moment. One of the commentators says that in uh, chapter 23, verses 1 to 3, the idea here is of a test. Uh, the idea is of a host coming and, and engaging the character of the person he's invited to sit at his table. Will this person just give in to desire? Will he respect the host? Uh, will he be thankful and polite or will he just scoff the lot? And that is why in verse 2 that the counsel, that the, the advice is so strong. When you sit down to eat with a ruler, observe carefully what is before you. Put a knife to your throat if you are given to appetite. Sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? If your eye causes you to sin, cut it out. If you're going to eat and eat in this situation, the writer of Proverbs says the best thing to do would be to take drastic action. You see, we can grab, we can be wealthy, and we can love money, but we can also be poor, we can have an average income, and we can be in love with money, we can be in love with wealth too, we can desire it. And I think you and I know this, don't we? Um, clothes are never just clothes, are they? Gadgets are never just gadgets. And companies are selling you and I, they're selling us a lifestyle, they're selling us the good life. I am an Apple aficionado. I bought an Apple product this week. But when I buy something from Apple, I'm telling you something about myself. I'm saying I am just a little bit, a little bit cooler. A little bit cooler than an Android user, am I? And that, that kind of thing, that kind of thinking, it's really subtle, isn't it? It can, it can seep into us. Wealth and possessions, they're, they're things that you and I hold on to, but they can start, they can come to have a hold on us, can't they? So as we look at verse 20, uh, chapter 23, 1 to 3, just think about these questions. Are you and I, are we addicted to the delicacies of life? Do we have to have those things every week? Are we capable of financial restraint? Um, How Much Land Does a Man Need is the title of a, a little short story by uh, Leo Tolstoy. Uh, some of you may have read that, that story. In, in the tale, the main character, he, he's told by the devil that he can have all day to, to mark out the land that he wants, and he, he, can, he can have all that land. 
Uh, the only catch is that he has to get back to his starting place by sunset. And in his greed, this man, he, he, he runs off and he, he kind of marks out this huge area. And as the sun starts to set, he realizes he's in trouble. And as he runs and runs and runs, as he returns back, he, he collapses, he falls on the ground, he dies. And as he's buried in a grave six feet long, well, we get the answer to the question, how much land does a man need? See, loving money, it can look like grabbing, taking something violently, like robbing the poor, crushing the afflicted. It can also look like desiring, it can look like wanting and needing to have the delicacies, the finer things in life. So loving money can look like grabbing, it can look like desiring. It can also look like someone who is calculating. Calculating, that's the third thing, verse 6. In verses 6 to 8, if you look at those verses, you'll see there's a second meal. And it's a bit different to the first meal in verses 1 to 3. Um, in this meal, the host is a stingy person. And he spreads a table before you. And he gives the impression that he wants you to enjoy the meal. And yet the whole time he's your enemy. And one of the commentators says that the, the picture here, it's of a, of a really begrudging host who's, who's kind of bound by the custom of the day to, 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 to be polite, to, to, to be polite to this uninvited guest. Now, I lived in uh, Aberdeen for a long time. Uh, I know the stereotypes about Aberdonians. I lived in Edinburgh for years. You'll have had your tea. We can love money and be very stingy, can't we? And the wise person looks at the kind of behavior we see in verses 6 and 7, and they just, they don't want to be like that. They don't want to engage in that kind of thing. They'd rather that the stingy person, well, just let them love the, the little that they have. Let them love the little that they're, they're unwilling, really, to share with them with you. Let them hold on to that money, that food. Friends, maybe you can see how the, the love of money, the love of wealth, the love of possession, it can be a very subtle thing. We can be in love with it and have a huge bank balance. We can love it and be right down into our overdraft. And so do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist, loving money. Second, losing money, losing money. Look at verse 5, when your eyes light on wealth, it is gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings flying like an eagle towards heaven. Uh, Proverbs is, is full of amazing imagery, isn't it? I think uh, the imagery in verse 5 is uh, some of the best, kind of pound notes or 20 pound notes kind of flying into the air. 
And yet, I think you and I, we all know what the writer of Proverbs is talking about here, don't we? Even if we're in a comfortable position now, uh, most of us will be able to remember uh, times when there was too much month and not enough money. Uh, My uh, granny, she had uh, two pieces of financial advice. Here they are for free. She said, buy cheap, buy dear. Uh, In other words, if you buy rubbish, you'll have to replace it. Here's the other cornerstone of her financial strategy. It's only a bargain if you need it. Money has a way of evaporating, doesn't it? Um, I think lots of people are aware of that at the moment. The cost of living crisis is, is in the news a lot. Many of us will be feeling that. And this imagery of in Proverbs of money flying away, we know what that feels like. Once you've spent it, you've spent it. Don't spend it all in the one shop. Money is there. It seems so solid, doesn't it? And then we check our, we log into our online banking app and we think, where is that? Where is it all gone? And in verses 26 and 27 of chapter 22, here's the example, the one example this time that I want to show you of this, the the one example of what losing money looks like. In 26 and 27 of chapter 22, we're warned not to make a pledge or put up security for a debt. Be not one of those who gives pledges, who put up security for debts. If you have nothing with which to pay, why should your bed be taken from under you? Now, maybe you remember Jesus saying in Sermon on the Mount, give to the one who asks you, do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. And then you read this in Proverbs, and you think, does that contradict it? Well, no. Uh, Christians, you and I, were to be generous people. We're to be generous to those in need. And if we can help someone, we are called as Christians to help them. And what we've got here in verses 26 and 27, it's not, it's not something like parents helping a child get on the property ladder. The picture here is of, of someone making a financial promise to someone else that they cannot keep. Somebody pledging money that they don't have. And in Proverbs chapter 6, there's a very similar thing. Solomon tells his son to do everything he can to get out of a situation like this. Don't put up security for your neighbor, he says. If you've shaken hands and pledge for a stranger, allow no sleep to your eyes till you get out of that. It can end in disaster. But why would someone do that? Seems so obvious not to do it. Why would someone do that? Well, I think maybe two reasons. Look at the the two verses before, verses 26 and 27. There's a reference uh, there actually. uh, Yeah, verse 24 and 25. Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. It could be we get into this situation just because of the fact that we're in bad company. 
And we get around people who are, who are like snares to us. And people can be like that, can't they? For all kinds of reasons. Maybe it's connected to anger. Maybe some other reason. Some people go through life taking advantage of other people's generosity. And so that is one of the reasons this kind of thing in verse 26 and 27 could happen. But I think there's another reason, isn't there? We could find ourselves in this situation because of our own pride. See, I think you and I, we love to give the impression that we are affluent, that we can afford things. You and I, we don't like to be needy in front of other people financially. We don't like to maybe admit if we're in financial difficulty. It's a very humbling thing to have to do that. And we've got a, a benevolent fund as a church. And when a person comes and they ask for help like that, it can be very humbling, can't it? People say to the deacons, they say, I need help. I think this is why we should pray for um, organizations like CAP that some here have been involved in that, that kind of help people manage, manage their finances. If they, they don't do that well, they, their lives can become chaotic. But I think Proverbs is teaching us here, if you promise money and then, you, and then that promise leads you into debt, well, that can become very dangerous. Be not one of those who give pledges, who put up security for debts. It can cause your whole life to unravel. And I think there's maybe a word here as we think about these things for married couples. Often um, in marriages, you know, one person is a spender and the other person is a saver. And that can kind of be okay, can't it? Sometimes couples joke about that, but if it's not addressed, well, that kind of thing can cause a whole lot of friction, can't it, in a marriage? So, married couples, are you on the same page when it comes to money? Does it just come into your bank account and go out of your bank account? John Wesley, he said uh, about money, he said, earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. So are our finances, is our money, is that an area that you and I want to honor God in? Have we asked God to help us do that? Loving money, losing money. Let me give you four quick applications from this passage as we close. Four quick applications. Here's the first. First application I think we see from this passage is a game to stop. A game to stop. The game I'm talking about is the comparison game. And I think this is a game you and I, we've got to stop playing. Uh, one of the, the facts about being a church our size, there's a kind of varying age range, isn't there? There's varying income levels. Some of us are in work. Some of us will be looking for work. Some of us are in jobs that pay more than others. Some of us may have inherited money. 
And there is always a danger in a church family of comparing ourselves to one another, of envying others, of pride at our financial situation. This can happen in all kinds of subtle ways, can't it? Who do we speak to? Who do we invite into our homes? And there can be no caste system in the church. The gospel, it levels us. All of us need Jesus. All of us belong to him. All of us are part of his body. And you and I, we should pray that God would help us to remember that, to remember our equality before him. So that's the first application, a game to stop. Here's the the second one, a man to imitate, a man to imitate. Maybe that sounds like I'm uh, contradicting myself. But there is someone in this passage worth imitating. We meet him in verse 29. And some have even suggested that the, the whole way this whole section is structured is to put the spotlight on the man in verse 29. Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. The picture here is of a dignified man, a workman. The word skillful, it means quick, it means prompt, it means ready. Proverbs is saying that kind of person is worthy to stand before kings. That kind of person, whatever job they do, if they're doing it well, if they're doing it, I guess we could say ultimately for God's glory, they could walk into the presence of royalty with a sense of calm, a sense of confidence. They have become skilled at something, whatever it is. They have worked at it. They have got better at it over time. Maybe there's a word here for those starting out in working life. Whatever we do, you and I are to ask God to help us be the very best we can in that role. Danger in a church like ours is that we rank professions. But in the Reformed tradition, all work is valuable And every job can be done, whatever that job is, before God's face and for God's glory. So a game to stop, a man to imitate. Here's the third thing, an attitude to cultivate, an attitude to cultivate. I think the attitude is gratitude. As you and I reflect on our lives, it's very good, isn't it, to pause, to count our blessings, to thank God for all that he has given us. And in the opening verses, the opening chapters of Romans, uh, we see this. Paul's exposing humanity's need. Listen to what he says in chapter 1 of Romans, verse 21. Although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. In Romans, Paul says, we all know God, Christian and non-Christian alike, but we suppress that truth We know it's true in our conscience. We see it's true in the beauty of creation. We have an inbuilt sense of right and wrong. We all know there's a God. But do you hear the connection Paul makes? Human sinfulness is not just seen in the fact we don't glorify God. We don't give God the honor he deserves. It's seen in a lack of gratitude. God showers gifts on humanity And only a few people say thank you to him. But what does the believer say? The believer says, all I have needed 
thy hand hath provided. I wish tonight I could take you to the home of a little old lady in the church that we went to in Aberdeen. She can um, hardly speak now. She has got so little, humanly speaking, and yet she's absolutely full of joy. You spend five minutes with her and you realize how thankful she is. It's not something that's put on. It is what she has become over years, over decades. It's what the Holy Spirit has worked in her. People like that are my heroes as a Christian. So a game to stop, a man to imitate, an attitude to cultivate. Here's the last thing, an inheritance to enjoy. An inheritance to enjoy. I think one of the the things a passage like this should do in showing the folly of desiring, of grabbing, of, of being stingy with money, of wanting wealth. I think it should help us put money in perspective. And one of the things that will help us do that, you and I, is to ask God to remind us what is actually waiting for us. What does Peter say? We have an inheritance that is kept in heaven for us. He uses the same kind of language Jesus uses in Matthew chapter 6. He says it can never perish, that inheritance. It can never spoil, it can never fade. But friends, what is that inheritance? Or who is that inheritance? It's Jesus, isn't it? In him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And yet the real wonder, actually, is that we are his inheritance. We are his possession. What does Jesus say in John chapter 17? Jesus says of every one of us who are Christians here tonight, he says that we are those who have been given to him. Given to him by the Father. And so tonight we get to the wonder of the gospel, don't we? You and I, we can never lose Jesus. And Jesus will never lose us. And I think that helps us, doesn't it? I think that helps us put our money, put our wealth, put all our possessions in perspective. Well, let's pray together.